I can feel my voice a little shaky, letting it settle. My heartbeat. Feeling a lot of joy being here with you this evening. I spent the pretty much a good portion of my day today working on what I would be sharing with you this evening. As I spread my papers out on the floor of my room and opened up the blinds, there was a deep downpour outside. It felt good watching it from inside. And then when the rain stopped, I noticed all these, just a flock of tiny little birds about the length of your forefinger, all in front of my window, flitting around, I guess finding seeds, playing with each other. And I got my, my uh, camera and videoed them. And then when they left, my gaze went out onto the land, onto this beautiful land with the rolling hills and sometimes there's little pockets of clouds that are look like there looks like smoke coming up out of the crevices and my mind drifted to all the times I've been here when there's no moon like there has been for the last couple of nights and the sky is clear and dark a backdrop for the stars I felt really blessed and privileged to be here And here we are on this land, in this place of magnificent beauty, which was once inhabited by the Pomo and the Miwok. We rest our cushions on the bones of the ancestors who once stewarded this land and maintained its pristine beauty for future generations, for us. I invite you to take a moment right now to feel into and sense what may arise in your heart knowing that nowhere around you do you see a remnant of these ancient nations on this very land that we now enjoy. 
We spoke of these ancestors at the beginning of the retreat and gave honor and acknowledge the land. What we did not speak to was the unspeakable cruelty, violence, and genocide that took place. Maybe not right here, but in the region. This paradise that was once home to a thriving people. I'd like to bring the memory of these lost nations, which we may have forgotten in the ardency of our practice, back into the room back into our hearts and consciousness as we walk and find refuge here on this land. All in all, not much has changed in the trajectory of time and history. Samsara, the circular suffering of birth, death, and rebirth, is the heartbeat of this worldly existence. I'm sure that we all recognize that we still live in a world of extreme violence and unfathomable hatred, and cruelty. It spans our globe. From Syria to Venezuela, it is in Afghanistan and Palestine. It is right here at home in Ferguson, Michigan, where families continue to consume lead-tainted drinking water. It's alive and well in the child deten detention camps where children lay sleeping on concrete floors and dying from neglect and loneliness and separation from their families. As technology brings the world into closer contact, intolerance sweeps the landscape like raging fire, burning through and wiping out lives and spaces that once were sanctuaries and sacred places of family, work, and communities of worship. Staying present to the suffering of our world Feeling it in our hearts is an essential part of waking up. One that cannot be separated from our journey towards liberation. So I invite you at this time to remember to pause as you listen this evening. Not to skip over what may arise in your hearts and minds as I offer these words. I invite you to maintain the continuity of practice 
that the refuge of our retreat offers. To stay with the breath. To listen to the sound of your heart and to track what arises and falls in the landscape of your consciousness. So I invite you now to place a hand over your heart and one on your belly. And let us take a moment to feel into what is present right now, right here. Because our practice is an internal activity, it is easy to become seduced into thinking that the primary goal of this journey is to achieve personal peace and ultimate nibbana for ourselves. Yet when you examine well the teachings and practices of the Dhamma, it becomes brilliantly clear that there is nothing at all to be gained from this practice. No acquisitions, nothing to consume or call our own. This is because ours is a practice of renunciation, of letting go, of opening, of coming apart. Even this coming apart is not a singular activity. Because we are in community. We are in relationship to each other and everything around us. The seen and the unseen. And right now, here in this room, in this place of beauty, as a sangha, we are coming apart together as we practice letting go. I'd like to offer this quote from the Buddha and mind you, an interpretation. The pleasure and joy that come through the five strands of sense pleasure are grubby, coarse, and cheap. When uninvolved with sense pleasures and unskillful states. The bhikkhu, practitioners, you and I, enters and dwells in meditative absorption. This is the bliss of renunciation, the bliss of non-involvement, of peace, of enlightenment. Though we may sit on our chair or cushion, stand in one position, or walk a short distance back and forth, 
engaged in a personal, internal process. We are practicing how to be in the world, saturated with kindness, fecund with care and compassion for one another, for the environment, the air, all things that grow in the soil, that move, seen and unseen, across the land, the waters, the sky. Compassion and care for this earth that sustains us, that we are a part of. This is not a singular journey. What we are doing here in this place and then taking out into the world when we leave here is not about an individual self-seeking peace of mind. Every aspect of our practice is to awaken for the benefit of all beings. Which brings me to the topic of my talk tonight. The dance of courage, compassion, and loving kindness. I noticed that some of you have placed photos, writings, and sentiments on the altar at the back of the room. In the arms of Kuan Yin, Avalokiteshvara, who presides over the space there. And I want to offer a formal invitation, extended to all, to place any items there that you would like to rest in the arms of compassion and love. Kuan Yin resides as compassion and wisdom. They sometimes sit on the lotus, a flower that only blooms in the mud of dukkha. A flower that represents the heart's blossoming into compassion, emitting a fragrance that permeates the world. They sometimes sit with arms outstretched as they face to embrace the suffering of the world. Sometimes Kuan Yin holds a vase, streaming boundless compassion endlessly throughout the land. And sometimes they hold a willow branch which has the strength and capacity to bend against the force of the storm, yet retain the resilience to remain upright. With fierce and fearless determination, Kuan Yin turns towards that which would not be seen and with courage and resolve, ceaselessly hears the cries of the world, keenly determined to end suffering for all beings. Our world is on fire, and in desperate, desperate need of compassion and care. There's no getting around the suffering in this world. It has always been here and is truly the fabric of our existence. 
Meeting the suffering is where this path begins. The internal pain, the dissatisfaction, the tender misery is the reason that we are at this juncture seeking liberation from the dukkha of the first noble truth. The path of peace and liberation is arduous. What we experience on our chairs and mats is only the practice ground. We practice to train our mindfulness muscle, as Orrin spoke about in his talk earlier this week, that we may apply what we've integrated as we navigate the walking, waking world. We practice on our cushions to draw awareness to the conditioning we have normalized and that contributes to the woes of the world. We arrive in this world naked and dependent. Somewhere in the societal, cultural, familial conditioning of our lives, we become deluded into believing that we are separate, independent and solid, autonomous beings. We are encouraged and rewarded to be strong in this illusion of independence, to believe that acquisition of material wealth and commodities of external objects will bring happiness will create a wall of safety and make us invincible. One of the things we are relearning here as we travel this path is the tenderness we arrived with when we entered this plane. The innate goodness that is our birthright. And adding to that the discernment of wisdom. This practice activates our memory of how to be naked in this world with each other. Naked of shame, without blame and judgment, naked of embarrassment and fear. Each and every one of us is a measure of the contents of this world. This relational world is made up of the building blocks of all of us. We are not simply looking out in the world. We are the world. The quality of that makeup is determined by how we treat each other, how we care for each other, and how we consider each other. It is the quality of the contents of our hearts that determine whether we contribute to the very thing that causes us pain or whether we will actually affect some shift or movement towards something kinder and more equitable. The heavenly abodes offer loving kindness to ourselves and others, omitting none. 
They're the superheroes of our practice. Metta offers loving kindness. Karuna is the compassion that turns towards suffering with tenderness, care, and agency to act with wisdom and skillfulness. Karuna is not a passive attribute by any means. Mudita enhances joy by sharing and borrowing the joy of others, sometimes called sympathetic or empathetic joy. And upeka is the equanimity that holds both 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. Actually, I think is more now. Of life in equal balance, free of compulsion or reaction. These practices offer road maps that lead to the blossoming of the heart. All of the Brahma-viharas weave themselves together into a tapestry of kindness, caring, happiness, and balance. Yet each has its own unique quality of heart. Metta. The basic foundation of metta practice is to cultivate an internal state of loving kindness and care in all that we do, in how we see the world, in how we relate to each other, in the words that are released from our mouth, and in the internal, unspoken dialogues we have within that no one knows about but us. We cultivate the sublime state of metta in our hearts for the primary purpose of gifting the world with safety and care by unlearning how to not do harm and retribution. By unlearning how to not rain harm down on ourselves and others. The sound of loving kindness may leave us with a soft kind of tender feeling. But make no mistake, this is a powerful practice. And when we're ready to open fully to it, it becomes a brilliant light that shines into the cracks and crevices of the heart and seeks out the hidden and unconscious roots of cruelty, hatred, and hardness that hide in the shadows of our consciousness. The shadows, huddled and twisted, and waiting their opportunity to run the show. These are not parts of ourselves that we really want to 
acknowledge. I can tell you the first time I really did a nice long meta retreat and I got to the difficult person. First it happened with myself, but I didn't recognize what was happening. I was spacing out. When I got to the difficult person, you know, the instruction is always not the number 10 person. Do the number 3 person. But number 10 showed up for me. Spacing out on the metaphrases for the difficult person. And I realized that I did not want that person to be happy. I didn't want them to be safe or protected or to have ease. I really wanted them to suffer. And I saw myself as a compassionate caring, loving person. And I look in the mirror. That's how I saw myself. It devastated me. Meta swooped in with that flashlight and went right into that crevice and revealed what I had laying in there. That potential for cruelty. Once these hidden aspects are revealed, once we see them, that's when compassion and tender care are required in order to fully turn our face towards these unwanted parts that have rooted down and attached themselves to our hearts. Many times strangling aspects of that innate goodness that is our birthright. This is the dance of Metta and Karuna, loving kindness and compassion. This is the way that the one supports the other in this dance of mutuality. We engage in the practice of loving-kindness first for ourselves and as the heart grows to reclaim its natural loving state of goodness, it opens and blossoms and allows that goodness to spread outward into the world, gifting all living beings with the great gifts of safety and ease. Now compassion, karuna, Compassion involves allowing ourselves to be moved by suffering without turning away, without cringing, without losing ourselves to despair and hopelessness. It includes the motivation and resolve to act with wisdom and discernment towards relieving and preventing suffering. Compassion combined with wisdom never exacerbates harm. They work together to discern skillful means and harness the quality 
of patience to evaluate the proper time and place to act. Compassion is not devoid of fear. It simply gives fear no surface to attach to. It is aware of danger, but not immobilized by it. This is the strength of compassion, the courage that arises from it. It is loving kindness that rides in to loosen and uncover the hardened and crusted over layers of the heart so that compassion can freely arise without impairment. The cultivation of compassion, which is the concern and care for the suffering of others, truly is an act of courage. When the heart is not afraid, the love can pour through. These are the words of Deepama, a great teacher of many of our teachers here at Spirit Rock. It is a fierce heart that can withstand the emotional challenges that accompany opening the heart to tenderness and compassion in the face of adversity. It involves a willingness to feel the pain, not push it away. And compassion cannot exist without loving kindness. Love, kindness, and caring are intricately intertwined. They weave in and around and through each other. And neither can compassion exist without suffering. For without suffering, there would be nothing to turn compassion towards. The paradox is that the suffering in the world offers us the gift of feeling deeply and opening us up to profound love. Well, what do you know? When we push it away, we are also diminishing our capacity to love. That's a monumental price to pay for aversion. Just as there is a relative and ultimate reality, there's also a relative and ultimate compassion. I characterize relative compassion as performance compassion. The act of compassion that comes from a sense of self-identification rather than from the heart. Relative compassion comes from a place of feeling like, hey, I'm a good person, look what I'm doing. There's an inauthenticity involved, a constriction involved in this type of performance. Now, I'm not saying that there's no external gift in relative compassion. 
Sometimes that's all we have to give. And yet sometimes the recipient can tell that it's not genuine. And this can cause more harm than good. With relative compassion, there's no risk or true impulse to act from the heart. It's generated by thought, perhaps laced with obligation, concerned with elevating status with others, and sometimes accompanied by internal disgust. I lost a beloved friend in November. My neighbor. I was there in my front yard when um, when he and his wife came and uh, looked at the house years ago. They had an infant, a little girl. I watched her grow. I watched their next child be born. You know, I'm a person who kind of like is squeamish about, you know, body fluids and stuff, you know, like snot and, you know, phlegm and, you know, I'm not really. Mm -mm. My neighbor's wife called me and said that um, Dave was, he only had a few days left. So I made some food and, and I went over there. And she told me that maybe he'll be awake, maybe he won't. So I went over and I sat on the bed and he was a beautiful man, but his the surgeries and the disease had deformed his face, and um, I had some difficulty. From the time he got diagnosed with this cancer, which was somewhere in here, he only lasted maybe a year. But when I sat down in the bed, he was awake. And so I played some of my music for him. Some soft, tender music. And then he started coughing. Stuff had filled in his lungs and it was projecting out and dripping and, and, and really he was so weak he could hardly take care of himself. And compassion, I felt it. I felt it arise in me. The love and the tenderness accompanying it. 
and I wiped his mouth and it got on my hands and it didn't matter. I was not revulsed by it or I didn't feel any obligation. I just felt a deep, 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 deep love. So, after I got finished playing music off of my phone, I sang my favorite meta song to him. And that was a song by Stevie Wonder. As around the earth the sun knows it's revolving and the rosebuds know to bloom in early May. Just as kindness knows no shame. Know through all your joy and pain. I'll be loving you always. Ultimate compassion. It's beautiful to open the heart, to allow the aliveness to come in as we turn our face to that which we would not see. Ultimate compassion is unlimited. It is a compassion that radiates out beyond constriction. In the words of Venerable Analio, like the rays of the sun, it shines its light everywhere. It is naturally responsive in that it is free from being confined by self. There are many qualities of compassion. Some of them are patience, wisdom, Kindness, which we've talked about, perseverance, warmth, equanim equanimity, resolve, gratitude, courage, self-confidence. These are some of the qualities of compassion. Resolve. The quality of resolve brings the compassionate mind into a unification with ease. In a state free of wavering and struggle. Resolve serves as an antidote to fear, which can find no place to take hold. It bolsters courage and shields the heart from doubt. Gratitude is also a quality of compassion. 
When compassion arises in the heart, it is accompanied by a sense of thankfulness for the opportunity to experience the deep quivering tenderness and love that accompanies its arising as the heart blossoms and opens to reveal its vulnerable places. Self-confidence. The practice, the arising of compassion, generates self-confidence through self-acceptance. When we fully accept ourselves unarmored and unmasked, just as we are, we're better able to accept others in the innumerable variations the world has to offer, just as they are. You see how that goes back and forth? How we feel about ourselves, how we care for ourselves, how much compassion we have for ourselves is what we can radiate out to others. If we don't have it here, we can't offer it. It allows us to accept others in the innumerable variations the world has to offer, just as they are. Just as they are. This self-confidence, it acts like a feedback loop. Those of you who have come to the movement, as we bring our arms around, and curl them back under to begin the rising again. This is what this self-confidence feeds back into. It hooks around and invigorates our courage. So as we're feeling into this sense of acceptance and allowing the self-confidence to rise from that, it feeds our courage. And in turn, our courage feeds that within us. In the words of Lao Tzu, the author of the Tao Te Ching, from caring comes courage. Courage and compassion are intricately intertwined, two dancers, perfectly paired to support each other to the rhythm and melody of loving kindness. The presence of love, compassion, and courage create a stable foundation from which we can turn towards suffering with balance and power. And not with passivity, but with agency and with the courage to back that agency. 
as stated by the Dalai Lama. The starting point from which we begin to cultivate compassionate action is from within. When we can have compassion for ourselves, we are more capable of the clarity and understanding necessary to be more flexible and tolerant of other people, conditions, and circumstances. He also says that love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. Again, ours is a relational practice. Every aspect of our practice is to awaken for the benefits of all beings. Compassion allows us to stand in the fire of our lives. It prevents us from being indifferent which is the near opposite of equanimity and offers us the courage and confidence to act in a world in the world in a way that at minimum at minimum does not contribute to suffering and at best works to end suffering in the world I'd like to end with a few lines from Rumi. Random, but definitely he was hitting it on the money. These pains you feel are messengers. Listen to them. When the world pushes you to your knees, you're in the perfect position to pray. Be full of sorrow that you may become full of joy. Weep that you may break into laughter. What hurts you blesses you. Darkness is your candle. Thank you for your kind attention. Let's take a moment to let the words fall away.
we have some time for walking and then we return at is it nine at nine and the invitation is to have continuity of your practice don't leave it on your cushion or your chair Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.